Enemies is the coal miner's daughter who's made a career out of digging for gold, Olympic gold. Our most decorated track cyclist is set to defend her Olympic sprint title when she heads to Rio. But this time, it will be different. For more than a decade, she's been driven by intense and personal rivalries and challenges. Her sister, an arch enemy, even a broken neck. And now, there's one more thing that stands in her way of becoming the world's greatest ever female track cyclist. Good to see you, Anna. Yeah, you <laughs> it's been a while. It has. Thank yeah, you very much uh, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Come, <laughs> and, come and sit down. And um, welcome to Off the Record. Thank you. A bit nervous, but excited at the same time. Well, I get nervous <laughs> talking to champions, I can tell you. Anna, you've got a CV to die for. Um, <laughs> you've been around for a little while. I have. Yeah, and yet you're still going. I am. Why? I don't know. For me, I still felt like I had room for improvement. I still felt like I um, could be better, even though I've reached, you know, nearly every pinnacle my sport has to offer. And to be quite honest, it's, it's nice to ride my bike for a living now. Can you quantify what you haven't done that you want to do? Yes, I can. Um, and there were four main goals that I wanted to try, or at least attempt, um, in coming back in competing between London and Rio. I've achieved two of those, and the first one was to uh, break the World 500 record and be the first woman to ride a sub-33, which I did. And then the second one was I wanted to win at minimum one more world title to surpass uh, the great Felicia Ballinger and be outright most successful female track cyclist um, for the sport. And I achieved that in Paris, which was quite phenomenal. And, uh, and the other two pertain to Rio. Um, there are only two events that I have not won um, at gold medals and I would love to be able to uh, retain the sprint gold. I'd love to be able to have another crack in the Kirin and um, hopefully our team sprint will have developed further to be in contention for the gold medal as well. Would you describe yourself as competitive? <laughs> yes. Um, I try not to around some people. I'm like, no, no, I'm not competitive. I played Uno with my niece, right? And I had a draw four and I could have taken her to school and I put down a red seven and I let her win. That's my example of not being competitive. How did that make you feel? Oh, I just wanted to go out and just, you know, because I know I could have done it, but, you know, she's only eight at the time. Your family was a major source of motivation. You were really close to them. Dad's a coal miner, Mum's really athletic. Did that help? Uh, well, Mum was actually a state champion in uh, athletics, 100-metre runner. Uh, so we got a bit, a bit of the pace, I think, from Mum. And my dad actually came from New Zealand and has a rugby background and a rowing background. So that real strength and that real power element, I think, comes from Dad in a physical sense and, and I think some of the, the mental uh, capacity as well. How did you get into cycling with your older sister, Kerry? Um, talk us through um, the sacrifices your parents made. Well, we lived in Middlemount, which is a uh, coal mining community town in central Queensland. And we saw Cathy Watt competing um, in the 1994 Commonwealth Games on TV on the velodrome, Kerry and I. And so we asked Mum and Dad if we could try cycling and there was no cycling in the town. Um, and Dad just pulled out the yellow pages, looked for the closest club and it was in Mackay, which was 300 kilometres from where we lived. <laughs> and uh, he kind of scratched his head and he's like, you really want to try this sport, huh? <laughs> 
And we, we were adamant, like, yeah, yeah, we really want to have... Because we grew up on bikes. We, in the country, you either walked or rode. Uh, so the Dad drove us in one weekend and we fell in love with it. And they said to us, this is a big commitment from your mother and I, and, you know, if you really want to do this, we'll put in the, the effort, but you have to match it as well. Every weekend for two years, at 3.05, the school bell would ring. We'd pile in the car, do our homework sometimes in the back seat where we'd drive 300k uh, to Mackay. We'd race Friday night on the velodrome and Sunday morning on the road and then drive 300k home Sunday afternoon in time for school Monday morning. Took them two years to get sick of that routine. <laughs> before they packed up and moved us into Rocky. And that was where I met my first coach, Ken Tucker. Yeah, Reggie, they call him, don't Reggie. they? Reggie. His son was a famous rider. He went to a couple of Olympics. Yeah. Great sprinter on the track, just like yourself. He had a good relationship with him, I gather. He had a nickname for you. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, did he call you the Chugger or something? Or <laughs> what did he call you? Oh, yes. He regarded me as a Chugger. Uh, I tried hard, but I never went anywhere very fast. So um, it was kind of like the little train that, you know, that, that could. When Kerry, like, takes off, it's harder for me because she's got a bigger size and she's got longer strength. But because I'm so small, it, I don't know, I'll probably use so much energy and I'm, I haven't got that much as her. Did you talk to Reggie about Sister Kerry? Yeah, I always ask him, am I ever going to beat her? Because <laughs> I'm not competitive or anything like that. Uh, so, <laughs> um, what did you know, he say? What did he say? He said, yeah, you will one day. And I'm like, well, when's one day? Kerry left. She moved down to the AIS when she was 16 in, in Adelaide and I moved when I was 19. Um, and whilst we had a, have a really good relationship, the competitive element made it very difficult, especially when I started to challenge. You know, for a very long time, Kerry was... Um, incredible and the the media interest that became generated as little sister started to catch up and at times surpass was I think difficult for Kerry to, to handle and even difficult for the both of us to handle as well but you know we did the best we could at the time with what skills we had and uh, and now you know we're still we're great mates we'll catch up we'll talk stories and uh, we laugh about it now but yeah it was it was very challenging at the time as she goes to 19.164, that's the best time. She is now on a gold medal ride here, Anamir's the magical year. Let's hope it continues. She's coming into the back straight, 34.112. Olympic record is 34 seconds. Then Mears comes up to the line. The world record, the world record is gone. 33.952. Anamir's is a champion, an Olympic champion. So you get to Athens and... Um, it's an incredible games for you. But I want to ask you about the time trial. Which was your specialty? Yeah, it's funny what sticks in your mind at crucial and big moments of your life. 20-year-old, my first ever Olympic Games. And after the first pedal stroke out the gate, I have no recollection of the race until the halfway point. And the only reason I remember that is because I could... I heard the pitch of the crowd change, so I knew I was close or up. I thought I was up. I was, I'm going with I was up. <laughs> Uh, and then I remember crossing the finish line and um, I just crossed the finish line, looked straight up to the scoreboard, which was mid-bank, and there was a um, red number one next to my name and I was just ecstatic. Well, my God. The race was two laps, my victory laps were six. Like, <laughs> they could not get me off the track. I was just <laughs> laughing it up. Why not? Mm, my coach kept putting his hand out and said, oh, next lap, I'll get you next lap. 
Your dad gave you something, didn't he? He did. Before I left uh, the Rocky Airport, he gave me this little box and he'd wrapped it up and he'd written on it in pen uh, 33.999. And I looked at it and I looked at him, you know, because I'm pretty honest with my dad. I'm like, what's this for? He goes, that's for when you break the world record. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to get to open that. You know, those lovely diamond earrings are never going to get worn, you know. <laughs> that's what I was expecting. Um, so I kind of just put it in my bag and I completely forgot about it until I got back to the village that night and I, I run in and I've ripped it open. I, I was expecting something different. Um, but what I got was probably more special in the context of what it meant. And it was just a, a little cloth that Dad had had um, embroidered up and it had on it, I'm a coal country kid and I'm proud to be a coal miner's daughter. You know, remember where you come from, um, no matter what heights you achieve. And that was probably the most poignant moment of when that sunk in. Let's fast track a little bit. Lots of other international success, but then we're at the World Cup in Los Angeles in January 2008, so Beijing's about eight months away and you're, you're uh, getting yourself organised and um, the whole world almost comes down. Can you talk yeah. to us about the big crash? Yeah, quite literally. Um, <laughs> you can laugh about it now. At the time, it wasn't so funny. I, I remember hitting the track uh, and I just remember a blur of colour. I remember being in instant pain and almost instant nausea. And then it just goes black until I wake up on the bottom uh, of the track and medical staff were attending at the time. And, and all I could say was my neck, my neck, my neck. And uh, about five hours later, it comes back that um, the doctor came in and he said, look, you've, you've fractured your neck. We're gonna go back over the scans, but we're gonna have to keep you in and you'll be in a neck brace probably for about 10, 10 weeks. And I just heart sunk. And I just um, I still get emotional over it. I just remember just instantly bursting into tears. And um, you work so hard for a moment that gets taken from you really, really quickly. And uh, I just felt like at the time, my chance to go to the Olympics for a second time had gone out the window quite literally. And uh, so <laughs> I remember just uh, lying there, crying. Kerry was holding my hand. And uh, I don't know whether it was the morphine talking, but I started to just think maths and numbers, and I'm like, seven months, ten weeks. It still leaves me four and a half months. I can do something. Surely I can do something. And when my coach came in at about 2 a.m. Before, before they left, he... Uh, I grabbed his hand and I said, I'll still be right for the Olympics for Beijing. And 10 days after I crashed, I was back on the bike. I tested myself, I challenged myself, and I, I realised how strong and capable I was. And I don't think I knew that before the accident. And that was a big, I guess, switch factor in my head. And to the point where I crossed the line in Beijing, winning silver disappointed. <laughs> I'm not competitive. This is for the gold medal now, and Victoria Pendleton gets Britain's seventh gold medal in the cycling. It's been a tough run, that's for sure, and when you get told that you know, you're two millimetres away from your whole life changing, it really changes you. And um, you know, I, I really believed I was worth the effort to get back on the bike and try and get here. And Did you seriously think you would? Uh, I believed I would, yeah, and that's all that mattered. I think I've just had a wonderful illustration of what makes a champion. I was two millimetres from a clean break. 
in my neck. And what, what does that mean? Uh, had that two millimetres, had the fracture have gone two millimetres further, at best case scenario, would have been um, requiring a respirator to breathe for the rest of my life because I fractured the C2 vertebra, which is the second down from the skull, and that's where all of the lung attachments uh, are too. So I was, I was very fortunate um, and still very fortunate to be as healthy as I am today. Did you think about retiring? I did. I very seriously thought about retiring, um, both when I fell during the rehabilitation and and after Beijing. Um, you know, family has always been hugely important to me. I'd spent a lot of time away from my family. I wanted to have a family myself. And so this was the main looming factor over whether I was going to retire or not at that time. I could have, could have retired. I was Olympic champion, I was world champion. But I chose to continue. And uh, I know I have incredible people in my life and I'm thankful for that because I know that even though I'm an individual athlete, there's nothing individual about anything that I've achieved. Well, it's probably a good time to show you something, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, do you reckon you could just press that? Because I think your sisters just might have sent you something. Hey, Anna. You know, some of the most memorable moments in my cycling career always had you in them. You know, we used to bring out the best in each other and we expected nothing less. We'd push each other's boundaries, not only in training, but in racing which often resulted in fits of laughter yeah. and you know, tears, tears, skin off the elbows. But at the end of the day, we were always able to come back to each other as sisters. I'm grateful for that. Um, I really enjoyed those times. On a more serious note, no matter what the universe has thrown at you, you've been able to overcome it with such strength and determination, which has inspired so many people as you go forward, we wish you all the very best. Sending you much love. Beautiful. Lovely. <laughs> what a sister, eh? Yeah, she's good. <laughs> so you go from one rival, your sister Kerry, to, to another who becomes the arch rival, Victoria Pendleton. Yeah. What's she like? She's different now to when we race. <laughs> I'll say that much. I've missed her. I really missed her on the competition um, circuit. She was that imaginary image at training that I would pretend she was in front of me every day on the track. You've got a history. Yes. And then a rivalry. Oh, it was amazing. There was an incident at the World Champs, wasn't there? Yeah, in 2006. You know, you make mistakes and you learn. And I made a mistake in 2006 and I was um, riding in the Kieran semi-final with Kerry and I was behind Kerry, so you know, I was obviously protecting her, swinging and moving, creating lots of turbulence within the, pun the bunch. And uh, unfortunately collided with Vicky in doing so and almost caused her to crash. And uh, I tried to apologise to her afterwards and explain what I was trying to do and where I thought it came unstuck. Uh, but she chose not to accept my apology and, and from that moment on, uh, was really, really tense between the two of us. Um, there was a four-year period we didn't talk um, and it was just really cold. And I think because we had that angst between each other, we kind of got to a competition where, like, I'm going to beat you. No, I'm going to beat you. And, and we pushed each other and we pushed each other. 
I'm really proud of the fact that I became one half of the reason why women's track sprinting was a pinnacle event at the London Olympic Games. Like, that was a talked-about event. Martin Barris, who was your long-time coach, lost his job, replaced by Gary West. And then the grand plan, eh? Know the enemy. Yeah. What does that mean? Know the enemy was about not just knowing who your opponents were, but knowing who you were in yourself. Victoria at the time hadn't been beaten in six years. Like, she was queen pin. Gary and the sports science staff in particular combed through hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage of Victoria Pendleton. And the Know the Enemy project then broke down to statistics. Simple numbers and percentages, which I know you love. Um, <laughs> so, you know... We're on the same page. We're on the same page. Mm. Um, and so, in the end, I started just racing off of numbers and data and, and I was able to start implementing the skills and the tactics and the strategies. And um, 18 months out from London, we were able to find, if anything, a scratch in Vicky's armour, and that was that she couldn't perform the track stand, which was a skill very well. And all the stats dictated that she was, um, you know, in the sprint race, you lead a race and then you follow a race. It's a best of three matchup. And about 90 to 95% of the time, Victoria could control the race to suit being in the second position, so following an opponent. But because she was so good at controlling the races, when she was forced into the front position to lead, she hadn't done it that much. We then cultivated a plan that we wouldn't use until the Olympic Games. When it came to pulling out my trump card in London, when it was necessary, oh, it was so sweet. So sweet. Well. <laughs> final in London, uh, you go one up but uh, because Victoria is relegated. We get to the second race, best of three, so let's call it the moment. Um, okay. Can you describe how it unfolds for us? I can. It's funny, I probably don't need to watch this to describe it because I could still play it over in my mind, but I knew exactly what I had to do in this race and I had to lull Victoria into a confidence of the game I had previously played at every other race I'd raced her, which meant she would give me lots of distance, take height down the back straight, she should follow me up, and then when I go down the bottom of the track again, she should follow me down. And that was when I decided we decided would be the best opportunity to perform the track stand in the steepest part of the track where traditionally they're not, not performed because it's so steep, it's hard to balance. So I roll down the track, she follows me, and then I just turn right. And I'm so nervous at this point. I'm like, my feet are shaking in the pedals. And I'm trying to stop the bike. I'm trying to stop the bike. And I don't do it as well as I had done in training. But I do it better than what Vicky did. And she goes past a little quicker than I'd anticipated. So a little bit of panic. But not enough because she didn't commit to the move. So all I'm looking for is an opportunity. Moment when she's slightly too slow. Moment when she's not looking. And she's opening the whole bottom of the track here. You know, it's like opening a gate for a bull to run through. You know, just resisting, resisting, because it's not the right time, it's too far out. And then just at 200 metres to go, she's marginally too slow, which plays into my acceleration game. And then I'm able to accelerate past her, riding on the red line. I remember I was screaming down the back straight to myself, go! He's gone, the <laughs> penalty is beaten. has done it. What a tremendous performance. Anna Mears is the Olympic champion. And I knew that I'd won. 
And I started celebrating way earlier than I ever have in my career. And that, like, I literally was just like, holy shit, I've just, I just beat Vicky Pendleton. I'm sorry for the language, but that's what I was thinking at the time. And then one of my favorite moments was she took my hand and um, held it for the whole, whole back straight. She was retiring after this, and I thought she was incredibly respectful and an incredible champion. It's such a great race. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Those are the moments that give me enough drive and excitement and passion to push through another four years to hopefully have that happen again. Rio? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to Rio because I want to. I'm doing it for me. And I want to see what I'm capable of. You are writing history, big history. Is that important to you? I appreciate it's important, but no, it doesn't define me. Who's Anna Mears without the bike? Uh, do you know who she is? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't see myself as Anna Mears, umpteen world champion. You know, I'm just me. I love my garden. I love feeling comfortable. You know, I happily get around without wearing makeup and brushing my hair, uh, that sort of thing. But I do like to frock up. I do like to, to dress up and feel, feel good in that way. And um, not too fussed, really. Yeah, but still competitive. I just can't get that one out. In 2020, where were you being? In 2020... It's an Olympic year. No, I... <laughs> the question's been asked, believe me, of, of my team. Uh, look, I don't think I'll be in Tokyo. I, I, I think Rio will be my last Olympics, whether it's my last competition, I haven't decided yet. Um, obviously, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games is very tempting. Um, but 2020, look, in some capacity, I'll be involved with cycling for sure. I, I, I hope I'm 80 or 90. I want to hit triple figures and still be pushing pedals, so. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank I've you. really enjoyed it. Thank you for being in Off The Record. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me.